Talk lines open now at 247-2000. First City Forum, 97.5 FM. Hello, 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 and happy Monday, and welcome to the First City Forum, brought to you by Providence Properties in Southeast Alaska Orthopedics. I'm your host, the one, the only, the iconic, Joe Williams. <laughs> I am in the studio today with my good friend, uh, soon-to-be doctor, Brittany Pope, and of course, we have our Monday call with our good friend, Dave Steeren. How's it going, Dave? Uh, happy Christmas week, everybody. Happy Christmas week. You know, this year has gone by way too fast. I cannot believe Christmas is literally next week. No, 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 not next week. Saturday. This week. is Saturday. It's, it's boy, Saturday. Boy, is your shopping already in, in trouble. My shopping is in trouble. I have not purchased my gift for my father, which means I am not going to get my Christmas deposits. I'm very upset about all of these things. So uh, for those just tuning in with us for, for the first time this Monday, we have our Monday call from our good friend Dave Steering up in Anchorage. Uh, Dave works for the governor's office, and he calls in to keep us informed as to what's going on with our uh, Alaska government entities and things so dave uh, it's been a few weeks how have you been well we've got the the budget out so now is that sort of lull between uh people going over the budget and legislators and their staffers uh you know getting ready for the for the trek down to to juno and and all of the you know, all the logistical stuff that go along uh, with that. So, um, just some some quick high points. You know, the the main, I, I think we here in government think everybody's pouring over every budget line item. You know, what what about this? What about that? Well, realistically, about sixty five percent of folks they they want to know uh, what size of dividend is the governor proposing. How is the dividend being paid for? Is it being paid for by by uh, a draw on savings? Is it being uh, paid for just out of the re- regular revenues for the state? And and weirdly, for all of the economic and you know emotional challenges we all experienced uh, this year because of COVID and and everything that derives from that, the uh, the. The revenue stream for the state of Alaska was pretty consistent and, and pretty solid. So what what we have is we have money without, you know, I, I don't know, raise your hand if you've heard the overdrawing from the permanent fund. We have none of that, just our regular statutory draw of 5%. And between uh, the price of oil and, like I said, revenues from our investments, the governor's proposing two dividends. So if you've completely screwed up and not getting your Christmas deposit from your dad, Joe, uh, <laughs> The governor's proposing a about a twelve hundred dollar make good dividend that, in theory, could be deposited in spring, oh. and then in the fall, uh, the regular annual dividend. And he's we're calculating it as at his proposed you know uh, percent of market value fifty fifty uh, dividend draw plan, which you know it's almost everybody's eyes glaze over because they've heard that so much. And that would be about a $2,300 and change dividend in, in the fall. So it's not a, it's not an either, or in this case, because of revenues and that it's an, and, and so that, and we, we can go into some, some of the other items, uh, increasing in public safety. Uh, you know, we, we had the press conference a few weeks ago about the Alaska Marine highway system. Uh, but, but the, you know, the, the high point, at least in my opinion, the only numbers people really tend to care about in, in the bigger sense is 
is the dividend being proposed and how is it being paid for and what is the approximate size? And so that's sort of uh, where we are right now. Yeah, show me the money. This sounds fantastic, Dave. So what is the likelihood that it will be approved that we'll have that $1,200 dividend coming up in the spring and or the uh, the $2,300 dividend coming up uh, when the normal dividend rolls out in October? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that on occasion you have uh, members of the legislature who, who represent your region that, I mean, I would hope that they would come on and, and chat with you folks. Uh, and, and and they should be able to, to tell you, you know, the likelihood of that. I mean, you, you have a lot of folks that uh, campaign on and are, you know, say they are supportive of a, a quote-unquote fully funded dividend. So I'm, I'm going to presume that means what you and I would think it would mean, and that means uh, additional funds and, and, and monies uh, for Alaskans. And, and with the, uh, the way the budget system works, uh, the supplemental, and, and that's where that $1,200 uh, deposit comes from, the supplemental budget could be voted on immediately. It's not part of the regular overall budget. So the legislature could act, if, if motivated and it was their desire, they could act relatively quickly. And like, like I said, they could, there could be a deposit end of first quarter, beginning of second quarter in 2022, if they were so inclined to do so. I love that. I love some money. Isn't it, how about you, you <laughs> So we are. So I love I, that my kids get dividends. Yes, I'm not sure that. if I've uh, if I've introduced her yet, but uh, we're uh, we're in the studio also with the great Brittany Pope. I, oh yes, I did, I did. Yeah, and the kids get dividends. You know, I always forget. That's one of the best things about Alaska. It's like the whole family gets dividends, uh, and and this this state just really takes care of its people, especially if you if you have families, if you have uh, something established, your homes, and those kinds of things. So that all sounds really good, Dave. I want to thank you. Um, is there anything else we're leaving out? Uh, no. Uh, in Brit- I didn't know if Brittany had any questions or not, but uh, otherwise, uh, you guys can get on with the rest of the show and take calls from people who have suggestions on how to bail yourself out of completely <laughs> forgetting when Christmas starts, Joe. I'm sorry. Listen, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I live a... Oh, a, a, everybody a, a crazy... is like complaining about being wet in the pool. Everybody's in the pool, Joe. Joe's been in the pool way too long. We got to get him out of there. Yeah. I've been in the way too long. Well, well Dave, well, Dave, thank you so much. Uh, for those just tuning in, we're on the line with Dave Steer. And Dave calls every Monday to, 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 uh, to inform us and update us on what's going on in the, uh, in the state government. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for calling in. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Brittany, I love Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart cracks me up. Well, Dave is a good warm-up for... For the for the crowd today, He's maybe like, we'll have a call this time. Maybe we'll have a call <laughs> this time. So, uh, so for those just tuning in with us, we're in the studio with Brittany Pope. Now, Brittany Pope is a therapist. Uh, t- t- tell tell <laughs> the the, the, the good people of Ketchikan who you are. Yeah, I'm a mental health counselor here in Ketchikan. I've worked for various entities, but I currently work in my own private practice, and I am almost a doctoral level psychologist. So, yes, meaning I went to school for a very long time to. 
<laughs> do went, what I do. Went to school, still in school. We're very proud of you, Brittany. I love you. Oh, I you're, love you you're, too. You're so fabulous. And she's the mother of the, of two beautiful young boys, my, my pseudo nephews, Noah and Ben. We love them. The, I, I'm a little fan of them. <laughs> They're amazing. Okay, so Brittany uh, comes into the studio the third Monday of every month for Mental Health Monday Mental with Health Brittany Monday. Pope. And I'm really excited. So in this season, this time of year, when, when everyone's sort of breaking their backs to, to, to make things happen for their kids, uh, uh, trying to trying to live up to a certain standard, I want to talk a little bit about jealousy because I oh, think yeah. that's something that can come up really easily around this time of year where everyone seems to be, oh, this person's, uh, or kid with, with kids, like, oh, this, this person got this gift, mom, I want this gift. And the parents are like, oh, I can't really afford that, but this person got yeah. that. So it, it's something that can come up a lot. So for, so uh, in a mental, from a mental health standpoint, what is jealousy? Well, I call jealousy more of the useless emotion. Mm. <laughs> not that it's not important to acknowledge and lean into, um, but it doesn't really have a purpose except to communicate there's an unmet need for us, right? Mm. And so if you talk about presence with kids, um, it's sort of more of a comparison game of like this kid got an iPad and I only got a truck. Mm -hmm. um, there is a big, I think, gap in, in what we get our kids with gifts and it can create jealousy, but a kid's not going to be able to recognize that that's jealousy. They more kind of see it as more of a comparison. Whereas in adults, we recognize we are jealous of what that person has and how do we deal with that, right? Right. When you're talking about kids' gifts, I always tell, and actually my mental health friend, Caitlin, um, she's also a therapist in town, um, really instilled this beautiful thing in her kids from an early age of doing four things with gifts. One thing you need, one thing you read, one thing you want, and one thing you wear. I love that. And it keeps it very simple for kids. And so it allows them to ha kind of, I have that want, I have that need. The read the educational piece and the wear could be like pajamas or a Christmas outfit or whatever it is, um, but it keeps it simple. And so I've practiced that with my kids, although they're too young to, to really get it. Mm -hmm. um, we we really try to keep it simple. Um, and so that way, and there's still probably going to be some comparison because that's just how we are as humans. Um, but with adults, it, I always tell people don't go overboard. You know, it's not, it is the season of giving and that can mean very, very different things. Um, I know something that Jake, my husband and I do, it, well, did, uh, we haven't done it <laughs> since we have kids, we've more so focused on them, but is we choose a local charity to give money to. Mm. And so we'll take our gifts and we'll, we'll put it into the form of a donation. And so we've given to lots of different entities in the community and that way we're not kind of, we don't. I mean, we're choosing to give versus choosing to get. And so I think there are ways that you could look at doing that with kids of where, you know what, let's go to the soup kitchen and let's support people uh, or let's let's hand out, you know, gloves to other people or something like that. So I'm all about teaching giving yes. um, and, and still acknowledging jealousy is it, it, it's a purpose. And so every emotion we have has a purpose. And so for jealousy specifically, it's it's communicating what is, what, what's going on inside of me mm -hmm. that's making me feel this way towards another person. Um, the biggest thing with jealousy and how to deal with it is voicing your concerns. So if you're jealous of something, and, and I always say this works in romantic relationships because that's normally where we feel jealousy versus comparison. Yes. And I say, you know, voice your concerns like, hey, you know, when you showed up for this person that way, it actually made me kind of jealous because I realized X, Y and Z or whatever. But a lot of times with jealousy, we act out of rage. Mm. We act in a rageful way or an angry way. 
versus, you know, being in touch with it and being like, I'm jealous and then learning how to cope with that. That's what we do in therapy. Um, I, I work with a lot of people and just, how do you, how do you cope with that? And it's acknowledging the emotion is the first thing. So whether, no matter what emotion it is, um, it, there's something underneath driving that emotion. And usually it's an unmet need. So I want to ask, because this was something that I thought of just in my own brain, kind of freestyling Uh on this, on this, on this topic. (laughs) I thought of what's the difference between the feelings of jealousy and the feelings of, I guess, comparison where you think, okay, this person's doing, doing this thing. And I feel maybe not jealous of them, but I want to do better for myself. So it's like maybe like mo- maybe motivation. Do you think the, the feeling of jealousy and the feeling of being motivated by others uh, kind of work hand in hand? Is, is it sort of on, on the same spectrum? I see jealousy as not motivating. So that's what I would say would be the difference between jealousy and maybe comparison or, mo- or um, determination. Okay. Um, I see determination as motivating. It's taking that, being present and saying, I am determined to hit a goal or whatever. Um, if someone else is hitting that goal, I want to hit that goal too. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas jealousy is more so has sometimes a malintent or intentions behind it. Whereas determination or comparison don't necessarily do that. So that's where I would differentiate the two. Yeah. But so, so would you say, would you, so I would almost think that jealousy would be sort of the, the perversion or the like evil twin of, (laughs) of, of that, of that feeling of like, Oh, this person's doing this cool thing and I want to do it too. This person's motivating me. Like, like how, let's say how kids look up to basketball players Mm -hmm. or, or in those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, I think jealousy can be a motivator when channeled in the right way. Mm -hmm. So I think like, it's just like anger where there's always something underneath it. So once we kind of look at I'm angry, it's more so because I'm sad or I'm, you know, that's sort of the response, right? Whereas I think that's with jealousy, the same thing is there's an unmet need. So the response is jealousy, but the motivator could be something completely different. Does that answer your question, Joe? I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> and then, and then it, it, it gets into like this whole realm of like sympathetic feelings and and our and our natural instincts as as uh, as communal creatures, where where we see things and we and we do things and we see other people doing things, and it sort of makes us want to do them or it makes us feel certain ways when we see other people doing things that maybe we don't understand or what have you. Like for for example, you'll see someone and uh, maybe. Maybe someone today will, will walk outside and they'll have shorts on and someone <laughs> will say, oh, it's so cold out there. They have shorts on. It makes me feel cold. Like, what is that? What is that, 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 that feeling of seeing something and then it making you feel away? So you're talking about being motivated by sort of like that, that place where you, you're, you're visually seeing something and then emotionally feeling it, right? Maybe, or physically yeah. feeling it. You know, it's such an, in, our brains are such an interesting space. Like I would love to take your brain and do a brain scan on it and just look and see what fires off on the daily basis. Because really like we food. are food, <laughs> food your cat, Sebastian, <laughs> yes. music. Got it. Yes. Um, but our, our brains connect and we're human beings. We want to connect. Right. And in the way of like, let's say like you are feeling sad and I'm feeling, and I feel that. Right. Um, it, and I kind of think there's, there's two things happening. Our brain connect sort of that, that, um, nervous system response. That's what's going on is you're seeing someone be cold and then your body is responding and feeling cold too. Like if you're, I mean, I'm cold in the studio right now, so I'm wearing a coat. You could look at me and be like, she's wearing a coat. 
gosh, it is cold in here, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's creating that connection to how I'm feeling and connecting it to how you're feeling. Um, and then it's creating like a physical response. So that's a behavioral. That's, that's how our brain kind of processes things and creates a behavioral response. The other thing our brain does is it really creates an emotional response. And so we tend to not um, connect that, I think, in the moment of like, wow, Brittany feeling cold, that makes me feel cold too, but we would think that that's such a brain-based response, but actually you're connecting, you're being empathetic, but you're not realizing that you're being empathetic. So I, there's a lot of different systems in, at play when things like that happen. And there's actually a word for that. And I can't, for the life of me, I should have done a little more research on before I came in. <laughs> Joe likes to pick my brain at like 11 o'clock on a Monday. Yes. <laughs> Give me the coffee first, buddy. Um, so there's actually a word for that, like actually feeling what others feel in a very physical way. I'll, I'll come back next time and, and actually have the, the answer to that. But, you know, we, we, we are creatures and we want connection. We're built for connection. Yes. And so we feel very physically with people, like stress. If someone says they're stressed and they come in a room and they're amped up, how long does it take you to get amped up to? You're Not feeling, very long. Yeah, you're feeling that emotion. I mean, even sometimes before they they verbalize their their stress, you can kind of feel the the, the tension or the anxiety. Yep. You yeah, you leave and you're like, did I what just happened there? Like, was I super stressed when I came in there? But you take on their stuff, and so that's that's when having empathy, you also want to be boundaried, and boundaries are freaking important. Um, I have done can't tell you like at nauseum um, amounts of videos on boundaries because they are the baseline of how we separate taking on someone's stuff and, and supporting someone in their stuff. Mm. And, and you know what? This kind of takes me into sort of a, a segue here. Um, empathy. You know, some people will say, oh, I'm an empath. And, 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 and there are people who will take that as, oh, that's just woo-woo. That stuff's not real, blah, blah, blah. But there's a real science to empathy and to connections and into being able to feel someone's emotions and take those in. And, and, and sure, it, it doesn't make you psychic. It's just a, a level of, of human human consciousness. It's, 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 a, it's a human sense that we don't really talk about. So let's talk about the science behind being an empath and empathy. So um, empathy is, re- so it's been researched actually more recently in the last probably decade or two decades. Brene Brown um, researches empathy, vulnerability, and shame. And she's done over 20 years of research. And she's got tons of books out there. If you guys are fans of her. She just wrote, wrote a, a, a more recent book called The Atlas of the Heart. Um, but she's done a ton of research on empathy. And you can be empathetic, but you have to be boundaried. Yes. And the science behind empathy is we are humans and we want to feel connected. And so if you can feel emotions, you can feel empathy. I mean, it's the same thing. So if, if, you've, if you've ever felt sad and I'm feeling sad, you go to a space in your heart or your brain and say, I know what sad feels like and I can sit alongside this person. And that's the thing. It's sitting alongside the person. It's not sitting in their stuff mm. or taking it on. And that's where I think some people aren't boundaried. Is the, so there is science behind empathy, right? We want to connect, but the behavioral piece doesn't match up with that. And we take on everybody's stuff. Like as a therapist, at the end of the day, I have to to shed the layers of what I've taken imagine. on. Um, and so what I've, what I've supported, right? I always tell people, this is a space where you can dump, and I mean that. But I also have my own ritual at the end of the day to be like, I'm hanging up my, my boots and going home so I can be present for my family. And I think that's where empathy can get us in trouble um, is we take on too much and then we don't necessarily know like, oh my gosh, where's where is the, me, the person, versus me, the person taking on everybody's stuff. So empathy is a really important one, but boundary, 
boundaries create empathy. Boundaries, yes, and boundaries are so important, especially if you if you work in fields like like therapy or if you work in fields like mortuary science. My my grandmother, she was a, a what mor- a random I mean, <laughs> well, but well, yeah, it's so well, true. No, no, yeah. <laughs> seriously. So my, my my grandmother, she was a uh, a mortician for thirty years. Okay, so she's so, all death. I mean, death every day. Death every day, yeah. and and so when you take that kind of stuff on, you'll you'll notice that if you ever hang out with people who work in that field, they're always the happiest people you'll ever meet. They're always smiling. They're always just going about their day very jovial because they see the worst of the worst, and and I think that's a part of putting up their 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 boundaries. Sure, they've just dealt with this horrible thing that's happened to this person, and they're dealing with their families and 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 taking on true deep pain and and some of the worst moments of of people's lives and and they've built up these uh, maybe walls or maybe they've built up this sort of sort of way of 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 consciousness where they just really see the good in every moment so let's talk a little bit about about boundaries and and like and how how those are built up and and how to and how to build healthy boundaries because so many people don't know how to build boundaries especially if you are a deeply emotional or feeling mm-hmm. person and, and you do take all those things and, and there are people who will gravitate towards people who are deeply emotional and feeling and just dump on them. Yeah, because we assume that they can take it. I mm-hmm. think that's the first piece of building boundaries is as a person who's trying to support someone or trying to get support, I always ask, hey, do you have the space or the container for yes. me today to be able to dump this? Because I think respectful Boundaries to our friends are really important or our support system are really important. Gosh, it's such a huge question. I will tell you, I'm still working on my boundaries. <laughs> yes. um, and I think they all, they they always shift and change. Um, so I call the Great Wall of China boundaries. Like, you know, the it, they're just deep and long and like a, they have a tower. They have like a bridge. Like they're just so, you know, um, the, just the, the permanent boundaries, the ones that I really don't like to move. They're kind of like – they're just, they're there. And those um, are protective. Mm. Um, those are really protective. They protect spaces of hurt. They protect spaces that of safety. Um, there's also the fluid boundaries that can shift and change. And those kind of boundaries are more like if someone needs an exception here and there. Um, the problem is, is sometimes if you give that exception, then you give that exception. Then it becomes a Great Wall of China boundary because you're just like, I'm not dealing with that again, right? We kind of make Great Wall of China boundaries up sometimes like out of anger. Mm. And then there's the poor. So those are called the poorest boundaries. And then there's the healthy boundaries. And the healthy boundaries are, again, sometimes derived out of hurt and anger. However, we've we've been able to kind of weather the storm with them and we've adjusted them so that they are healthy for us. My favorite thing that people tell me when I say, do you have space for this is no. Yes. Because I would rather be fr- have a friendship on honesty and boundaries than have a friendship on, 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 on none of that, right? Because it's exhausting. And so when I, I always, and, and I had to train myself to be able to be like, hey, can you show up today? Um, and I'm not one that asks for a ton of help. No, I don't. Yeah, no. So when I do it, it, it usually is really, I try to be really thoughtful and methodical about that. Um, even though I always tell people to ask for help, ask for help. That's the hardest boundary to break. It's hard. And I think people like us, like, like me and you, you and I, we, I think we're like so, so driven and so just all about our things, always moving, always on the go mm-hmm. that it's hard to ask for, 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 for help. Uh, you know, it's hard to take away from someone's time because I think we have so little time yep. that we value it so much that we just assume that everyone else kind of thinks about it the same way that we do. Yep. Time is not 
you know, it's not infinite. You know, we all have, like your grandma was a mortician. She mm-hmm. knows we all have one thing in common and that's death. And so that's also for people like us, big type A folk who are like very driven people. We also have to remember to have fun in the mundane. Yes. And that's really hard, right? Yes. Like, I mean, I'm sitting at home on a Sunday with my kids and I'm like, you want to watch another freaking episode of Coco Melon? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's really crappy out, you know? And it's like, and instead I really try to practice gratitude. And that's something with jealousy that's mm. really important is, yes, I don't have these things, but I have these things. Yes. And so gratitude in s- studies and research show that gratitude, practicing gratitude decreased people's moods by 75%. Yes. So why aren't we doing more of that, right? And then, okay, so I'm going to talk about that. I want to go into something else that you mentioned earlier. But yes, gratitude, just finding just just happiness and thankfulness in each moment of each day and putting out positive energy. I really believe that when you put out that positivity, when you just say thank you, even in the worst moments, you'll find those little nuggets that are hiding in the dark sand where you'll find little pieces of, of gold and you'll find opportunities in spaces where you don't want to particularly be at that moment. Yep. Yep. The one thing I try to do, and you know how we go to the grocery and we're like, you see someone, you know, they're like, hey, how are you? They don't really care how you're doing um, because we get so automated. Not that they don't care. They just don't have time. Right. And they get so automated into our system and autopilot. So something I try to do is I, instead of saying, hey, how are you? I say, hey, what are you buying at the store today? Or kind of shifting up what you're asking because then it shows investment, right? It shows that you care. It shows that you've given the extra step to just be like, hey, I saw you in the newspaper today. You know, just something connecting other than how are you doing? Um, I, You know, I have a, a person that I work with that's like, I don't like that question. And I'm like, well, that's a great perspective because it's everybody asks it. Mm -hmm. So something I've tried to also really be mindful of in my practice is – Instead of asking how you're doing, I say, well, what song reminded you of your week? Or what color is your heart today? And I will tell you, it's amazing. Even men that I work with, what answers I get. Yes. <laughs> I of the Tiger is a really popular one. So. I of the Tiger <laughs> is a phenomenal song. Uh, so, yeah, and you know what? You, you come up with a really good point, though. So when I see people out and about, if, if I'm out of my house, I'm usually going somewhere or doing something. So I'm never really just out strolling. So when people see me, sometimes they'll, 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 they'll stop me and they'll, they'll, they'll talk to me. And I can probably come off as a bit dismissive. But it's not that I'm not wanting to connect or wanting to speak. I just don't have time. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on the move. I walk everywhere. So I have like a lot of, I have to make a, each moment count. So I just want to put that out there. If you ever see me out and, and I and I come off as uh, as being too busy for the conversation, it's not that, I don't, that I'm too busy for you, it's that I just have things going on <laughs> in, that, in that moment. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what you mentioned earlier. The, uh, the, the, the phrase, do you have time, do you have emotional space for this conversation or for this interaction right now? And and I just, I just labeled that emotional consent. Ah. I love it. Emotional consent is so yeah. important and it's important in all kinds of relationships, be it friend, friendly, mm-hmm. re, re, friendly relationships, uh, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. I've found that um, just in speaking to a lot of people and, 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 and relationships and things, they, they don't, the, the boundary of emotional consent is important even in romantic relationships, yeah. like with your, with your husband, with your wife, with your, with your whomever it, it may be. And where, Sure, this person's theoretically, oh, I married this person. They should be there and then listen to how terrible my, 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 my day was. But also there is the transverse of 
are you dumping too much on your romantic partner? Yeah, I get that a lot. A lot of people will come into therapy and be like, I have literally exhausted my resources because I feel like I'm dumping all this on people. And and a lot of times that's true. <laughs> um, but I, I, I love the idea of emotional consent, like sort of that space of, hey, like I need you to show up for me, but if you can't, tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I do, I have a few friends that I feel really comfortable saying that to, you know, and recently I had some things go on in my own life and I had a friend who had some things go on in her life and I needed someone to show up for me, but I knew she wasn't the right person to ask. I even knew I didn't need to ask emotional consent because emotional consent wasn't implied that it wasn't available. Mm-hmm. Right. And then finally, like a month or two later, I was like, Hey, actually, I need you. Like you're a close friend of mine. Could you show up? And they were like, yes, thanks for waiting. Yes. So even that validation of like, thank you for knowing that I don't, you know, that I, that I need that space. Right. And so that's, I think you start to learn when you start practicing that. I'm not as good at asking for emotional (laughs) consent with my partner Mm -hmm. because I think we kind of feel like, okay, we can just dump it on them. I am getting better about like not talking about work because mm-hmm. I'm very defined by what I do. Yes. Um, and so it's like we could constantly be stuck in the work mode with me because I get really excited about everything that I do. Like I tried a new technique today or whatever. Um, or like I'm really, really worn out today. I'm exhausted. Like those are things that are really important to kind of tune into one another. Um, and I, I'm really lucky that I work in a field that I can't share anything with my partner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more usually like, I'm so frustrated. I got, you know, I messed up on my note today or something, you know. But um, so I think that's a benefit of, of my husband and I's professions because he's really not able to share anything with me either. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so we kind of can leave it at work. Um, the one thing I bring home with me is sort of more the stress of paperwork and the admin stuff. Cause yeah. I like being a therapist. I never knew I'd be a janitor, an administrator, a CEO, <laughs> all the things that I miss about working at agencies, business owner, power, power woman. <laughs> so, but I think you're right with like that emotional space. And that is something I will say that's invaluable to literally say, because it puts the expectations first. Right. So if I came to you and dumped all on you and you were like, I didn't even have the space for that. I'm sorry you're going through that. How exhausting is that for you? And it can create resentment. You, yeah. you know, when you have someone who's always dumping on you and every time you see them, they're in a bad mood, they can become taxing. You you, you, yep. can, you, you see them, then you start to walk across the uh, street. <laughs> yep. You're like, okay, I don't want to hang out with them anymore. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like sometimes we need to, like sometimes we are that friend that mm-hmm. becomes taxing because we have a lot going on. And I, it's hard to be that friend and have that going on at the same time. And so I try to be really cognizant of what my friends tell me. And a lot of times, I've also said to some of my friends, like there's so many years where I got to actually have that energy from you and we built that foundation. I don't really need you to check in with me all the time. Mm, Like we can connect and like have dinner and be fine, like right where we left off. And I think that comes with maturity and friendships Mm -hmm. because I've definitely noticed and there are like in social psychology, there are just these boundless of research on like types of friendships as our, like as we grow. Yes. And when we become adults and it's, it, you know, post college, it's more, it's not about quantity. It's more about quality of friendship. So I think we get more of that. So I have probably three to four good friends, but they're quality relationships. And I can, I can show up in a way that is really meaningful versus having like 25 and showing up like a little bit. Yes. Yes. And that really just goes into 
knowing that emotional bond that you have with that person, which goes into empathy, which goes into being able to express yourselves, but emotion, but with emotional consent. And that's why you need a therapist like the great Brittany Pope. <laughs> <laughs> or there are tons of other therapists. Or in this tons town. <laughs> of other therapists. But, uh, but no, so, so it, I love how this has kind of gone from, I know, from, we went from feelings jealousy. of jealousy to, <laughs> to emotional consent. And, you know, and all of these things are so important. And I want to thank you for coming on and talking to with me about these things. So I want to talk about something fun. So, oh yeah, let's get <laughs> Let's get lighthearted at the end, right? So I have started this thing called What's the Tea on Facebook. Oh, boy. And where I go through my my, 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 my Facebook feed and I just find interesting things to, 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 to uh, talk about, be it reading oh, different people's Facebook cute. posts and, 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 and reacting to them or finding different things uh, just interesting that have popped up on the feed. So apparently there is a romance oh, novel boy. called, and, and t- write this down, guys, Dr. Dan and Ketchikan. A hot doctor injured cruise guest personal ad romance. And odds are good standalone romance. Okay, so I'm going to read the synopsis of this romance oh novel because it sounds hilarious. New York's New York Times best-selling author Kathy Regnery returns with a brand new novella and her odds are good collection. Legendary among female cruise employees, Dr. Dan M- Malloy, uh, Dr. Dan Malloy's waiting room is always full on port days. After all, he's the hottest and youngest doc west of Canada, and rumor has it he's still single to boot. Too bad he's so clueless. No matter how obvious they are in their attempts to woo him, Dr. Dan is all business with patience. Equally clueless, cruise ship passenger Ruby Bacon has a freak accident during a lumberjack show that requires five stitches in her, um kitty relentlessly (laughs) relentlessly cheerful despite her mishap and chock full of kooky fun facts that she shares at the worst moments ruby misses her cruise her her ship's departure stranding her in ketchikan concerned for her safety and comfort and of his newest patient and and more than a little intrigued by her offbeat manners, Dr. Dan offers to accompany Ruby on a two-day ferry ride from Ketchikan to Juno, where she should be able to catch up with her ship. But when it comes time to, to travel and love, even the best laid plans can go sideways, and two adorable misfits may discover that they're only at the beginning of a journey towards forever. Wow, so there's so many ethical codes they're breaking there. <laughs> there is That's where so, my brain goes. <laughs> there is so much to unpack in this novel, and it's hilarious. So, but first of all, shout out to the uh, Lumberjack Show, Boone Shear, Rob Shear. We love the, uh, the uh, Shear family. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Dan and Ketchikan. You guys have to check it out. It's available on, on Amazon right now. And thank you, Austin Otis, for posting that on Facebook. That's where I saw that from. Yes, Austin Otis. You can buy the paperback for $7.99 with Kindle Unlimited. You can get it for $0 or $2.29 downloading it on your Kindle. The goods are odd, but the odds are good. The goods are odd, but the odds are good. Speaking of being stranded in Ketchikan and, and, uh, uh, well, novelists being stranded in Ketchikan, did you know... That back in like the 1930s, um, uh, the founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, was stranded here in Ketchikan. Did he write that book? Well, he didn't write. He didn't write <laughs> with Kathy over there. 
<laughs> he didn't write that book, but he did write other books about Ketchikan, and he had a radio broadcast right in this studio. Oh, you know, fun facts that I never knew and my brain didn't have space for. So thank you, Joe Williams. <laughs> I'm, I'm still stuck on that Ketchikan Dan, Dr. Dan thing over there. I'm probably not going to read it, but I hope... Catch a can, Dan. Dr. Dan, guys. Check it out. Don't miss it. Brittany, thank you so much thank for coming you, in with me today. And thank you guys for tuning in to the First City Forum, brought to you by Providence Properties in Southeast Alaska Orthopedics. I will see you tomorrow. Bye.